how beautiful heaven must be. Do you want to go there? Some may be thinking right now. Reminds me of a fellow who said, I believe I have a home in heaven, but I'm not homesick yet. And probably many of us feel that way. But there's one thing for sure. When I leave this earth, I want to go to be with God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. I want to spend eternity in heaven. But as I've said before, that's just part of the story. I want you to spend heaven, spend your time in heaven throughout eternity. You will not be spending time, actually. It's not a matter of time. It's eternity. And we want to be in the right place. But I've sure enjoyed this time together with you this weekend. Appreciate the invitation very much. It's good to be with all of you, to be with the elders here, to be with Ricky and Jordan, to work together in the greatest work on this earth. The work that's been provided by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Father of heaven. And I appreciate the opportunity to work with Brother John Kilgore. We've had a few opportunities through the years to work together, and I've always appreciated his ability, his enthusiasm, the pictures that he draws in words, makes us, to want, to, makes us want to live closer to God. It's been a joy to be with him and to listen to his good lessons. The lesson that I have before me today is living the senior years in view of eternity. That's why I said those few words in the beginning about heaven. And do you want to go there? Living the senior years in view of eternity. In 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, at verse 16. The Apostle Paul wrote, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. <laughs> Do we understand that? Well, this 90-year-old certainly does. I've heard the expression, we began to die as soon as we are born. And you know, I've helped in the funeral services, I believe, for people of every decade of age, little children, three and four years old. Children in their teenage years, people in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s, in 80s and 90s, and even those above 100. We never know. I've said that, you know, with how God has blessed me, I realize there's a possibility I might live to be 100 
At the same time, I realize that that can change in a heartbeat. Always be ready. But we recognize that we're not here forever on this earth. So, he says, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man, this physical body is dying, perishing. It's not here for eternity here on earth. Yet the inward man, the spirit, the soul, the inward man is being renewed day by day. That's what we should be trying to do, renew it from day to day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, listen to these words, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, People say, I'm not going to believe in God because I can't see Him. That's foolishness. We accept many things in our lives every day that we do not see. Do you have a mind? Do I have a mind? We do not see that. We see evidence of it, but we do not. I do not see your spirit. I see evidence of it. And so he says, Why we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Why? For the things which are seen are temporary. It'll last. But the things which are not seen are eternal. God is eternal. Our spirits are eternal. The Word of God, the message from God is eternal. It will never be destroyed. And we must focus our lives on the eternal. I've already said some things in the other lesson to indicate that we need to realize that this church relationship, family that we are in, is not just something good for here and now, even though it is. We have our eyes on eternity if we have the right attitude. We have our hearts set on the Lord Jesus Christ, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We must see into heaven. And so in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, in Hebrews 12, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the hall of fame of faithful of chapter 11, is what he refers to. Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with patience, or steadfastness, endurance, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. That's what we just said looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. 
I'm sure you thought, some of you have at least. What's Jesus talking about, the joy? Is he saying that he had a lot of fun when he was hanging on that cross? Oh, no. You remember what he said before he went to the cross? Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Why did he say he knew what he faced? And he did not enjoy the idea that he was going to have to suffer all of that but he said he went through that for the joy that was set before him. What was that joy set before him? We're, we're enjoying it right now. The salvation that he was providing for us, the hope of heaven that he was providing for us to th go through that. And that's the same thing that we have to realize. We have to live the life of a Christian and pay whatever price, suffer whatever we have to suffer, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life, who for the joy that was set before us, heaven and the joys of heaven, is how we can make it through and hear him one day say, well done, good and faithful servant. So he continues here in this, in this passage of Scripture, verse 3, For consider him he endured such who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. You have not yet resisted the bloodshed striving against sin. But even if we have to pay with our lives, the joy that will come as a result of it will be worth every bit of it. We have to keep that, we have to keep that before us. When the eunuch of Acts the eighth chapter heard the preaching of the gospel, that Philip the evangelist did it for him and submitted to the confession that he believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and submitted to the commandment of baptism and came up out of that waters of baptism and went on his way. How did he go on his way? Rejoicing. We as Christians have every reason to rejoice, no matter what other troubles we may have in this life. We have reason for rejoice. Well, why should we live our last days on this earth in view of heaven, viewing heaven? This passage just emphasized, as has already been said by Brother John this morning, this world is not our home. That's what Second Corinthians 4 is telling us in, in the words of our song that we often see. This world is not, a, not my home. And we need to recognize that. Heaven is the permanent home that is in being. In Philippians, the third chapter, Philippians, the third chapter, 
verses 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven. You realize that? Our real, true, permanent, eternal citizenship is not in the United States of America. Even though that's fine to have citizenship in this country. But that's just for the here and now, our eternal citizenship, our main citizenship, greater citizenship, is in heaven. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our holy body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Listen to that. He will transform our body that we have now, that it may be conformed to his glory. We're, we're going to have a body just like Jesus Christ has now, sitting at the right hand of, his throne, of the throne of his Father in heaven a body in which there will be no sorrow, there will be no sickness, no more heart attacks, no more cancer, no more many different kinds of things that, that we suffer in this life. Heaven will be our permanent home. Our citizenship is in heaven. We will have that glorious body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's go back to 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, for just a little while here. We're going to continue reading where I left off. Oh, remember, man made, long after the New Testament was written, man made the chapter and verse division. So we just picked up where we left off. But it's chapter 5 and verse 1. For we know that our earthly house, this tent, this body in which we live is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in that. He's talking about that new body, that changed body, that glorious body like Jesus said. In this we groan earnestly to be, desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tent, in this body, groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality might be swallowed up by life or immortality. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. We are not in His presence as we will be. For we walk by faith and not by sight. That's, that's a short passage, but that one is so important. We walk by faith and not by sight. 
we don't walk by the things that we can simply see with our physical eyes. We walk by faith. In the message of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the promises that God has made to us. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him. That's our work while here. We make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to you. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known. To God, and I also trust, Paul says, are well known in your conscience. And Paul talks a lot about that body over in 1 Corinthians, that new body that we will have. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. In verse 35, he began, we'll not read all of this, but in the, he began by raising the question, but someone will say, how are the dead raised and with what body they came will come? And then he goes into an explanation that, you know, the different things, there's different kinds of bodies. There's the bodies that the grains of this earth have, like the plants that we put in the earth. And the, what you what you bury is, looks different than what comes up from that seed. And the same principle is there with regard to our bodies. And down, down later then, he begins to answer the some of the question with regard to that body. He says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is, there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, literal Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Christ, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. We have the natural body first, and afterward the spiritual. And he goes ahead talking about that some, but beginning now in verse 50, he said, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood, blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We'll not all be dead when the Lord comes back. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we, the living, he's talking about when he comes, will be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, 
Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what obligation does that bring upon us? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It is not useless. It is not empty. It will mean everything to us through a whole eternity. Eternity never ends. So we must abound in the work of the Lord. That's our responsibility because of the hope that the Lord Jesus Christ sets before us. You remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and done many wonders in your name, cast out demons in your name? And then I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And then he says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. It stands. But everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them, it's like the man who built his house on the sand. The little children sing the song that's taken from that passage of Scripture. Even from the little children we teach them that it's important that we believe and obey that we have an obedient faith in our Lord and in the promises that he has given to us. And so the Apostle Paul's words of Second Timothy come into view and are so important to us if we listen to them. When he said, I'm now, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. I, I still kind of like the old King James version on that. I'm now ready to be offered. And my, de my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will give to me at that day, and not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. But somebody says, that's Paul. Well, yes, it's Paul, and Paul is a great example. But Paul was a person. He was a human being just like the rest of us. And we can have that same hope if we follow the attitude and the exhortations that men like him and others who wrote the New Testament under the guidance of the Holy Spirit that they are that they are telling us. Why would we go to that length? Why would we spend our whole lives doing that? 
Well, there's a passage in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, I want to read. But call, recall the former days in which after ye were eliminated, you endured a great struggle with suffering. Partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion, Paul said, and I believe he wrote Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, said, For you had compassion on me in my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. How would you feel if the government comes by and take away all you own, take away your property? Some Christians back in the first century had that happen. And he said, you accepted the plundering of your goods. And what? How, did you do, how did you live through that? How did you accept that? Knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. That's keeping your eyes on heaven. And I want to refer you. One of the last things that we will say this morning is a passage, one of my favorite passages. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. He's writing this letter to Jewish Christians. Verse 18 he says, you have not come to the mount and might be touched. And he refers to old Mount Simon and what happened there years before that he wrote this. He says, you have not come to that mountain, Jews, but you have come to Mount Sinai. Notice it. He didn't say you will one of these days. He said, you have come to Mount Sinai and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Somebody says, well, Brother Leon, I thought the heavenly Jerusalem refers only to when we go to heaven. Well, that's part of it. That's the glorification of that great city. But do you realize that we are now, as Christians, as members of the church of the Lord, we are citizens in that great, bright, new Jerusalem. And we need to understand. You've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church. There we are. And the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. We have that connection with heaven because what? If we are faithful Christians, our name is on that book of life in heaven. The Lord wrote it there. And nobody can take it out. But if we tell the Lord by the way we live and act that we're not interested in that great city anymore, yes, he'll rub it out. And I'm sure that none of us want that to happen. That's why we've got to keep our eyes on the promise made before. But he goes on. 
to say to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, and the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling. It's a package deal. You don't have one of these things without the other. That's why I say it's a package deal. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gives the exhortation, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. Who is that who speaks? Jesus. Let me say this. When you, read, when you open this book and read it, what's your attitude to it? Do you realize, when you pray, what are you doing? You're talking to God. When you read the words of this book, you're letting God talk to you. And so he says, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape, who refused him who spoke on earth, Moses, much more shall you not escape if you turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Jesus is speaking to us today from heaven through this divine revelation, this book called the New Testament. Oh, I know that even the words of Satan are recorded in certain places in this book. But this revelation, even the revelation of what Satan said, was written down as these men were guided miraculously by the Holy Spirit. And those words that Jesus and the Father say to us in that message, we must listen to That's why I said to last night, uh, last night, and why I'm saying today. Let's keep our eyes on heaven. Let's keep our eyes on Je looking unto Jesus. It will cure all the problems that we can face. I've I've tried to teach that to folks through the years, where they said, "Well, Brother Leon, I used to go to church. I used to be faithful." But this and that and another thing happened and this brother said that and this sister did so and so and I just had a problem. Who are we keeping an eye out? Are we going to trust in simply some human being that may not do what he ought to do? We trust whether he does right or wrong or whether we, whether we want to go to heaven or not? That's foolishness, isn't it? We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus and do what he tells us individually to do. Oh, yes, we'll have to make choices. You may find even some Church of Christ that's not walking in every way according to what the Bible teaches, and you may have to make some choices with regard to what you're going to do about that. But you'll never take your eye off of Jesus, and that's why you will pay attention what you are believing and what you are accepting wherever you may go. Why is it necessary that a person believe in Jesus 
repent of their sins, confess their faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and be baptized, be buried in water for the remission of sin. Why is that so important? Because that's the divine message from heaven. And the same scriptures tell us that when we do that, the Lord does not add us to the denomination of our choice. He adds us to his church, the one that he said he would build, and he did build it. And that's what somebody said. He promised. I had a lady ask me one time, how can I know that I'm saved from my sin? I said, will you? Were you baptized? Did you believe in Jesus? Did you repent of your sin? Confess your faith? Were you baptized according to the teaching of the Scripture? She said, yes, but how do I really know that I'm saved? I said, the Lord promised you that if you do that, He'd save you. Do you believe in the Lord? Do you believe that He, that he tells you a lie? That's the promise of the Lord if you sincerely, from the heart, do what he tells you to do. If you need to do that today, or if you need to come in repentance and prayer to God as one who has already done that previously according to the teaching of the Scripture, and you need to come. We have a divine example of that from Acts the 8th chapter. Philip the evangelist preached to the Samaritans, and many of them believed, including Simon who had been a sorcerer. He believed and was baptized somebody said well uh, wait a minute preacher did he what did he really believe who who told us that he believed and was baptized the holy spirit did through the pen of luke who wrote the book of acts and he committed a sin after he believed and was baptized then what is what was he told to do repent and pray to god for forgiveness you may be in that situation today that you've done something you haven't tried to buy the power of the Holy Spirit, maybe, but you you have uh, done something, you have lived the kind of life that you need to be restored, as we say. You need to be brought back to the Lord. Do you want to go to heaven? If you need to make that first step toward heaven today, don't wait. Do it now, as together we stand and sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.